Morning, everyone. Good to be together. Uh, just before we begin, um, let me just uh, chat about one thing, which is summer. So it wasn't great to hear all those announcements about summer and the things we're going to be able to do together, carols, Christmas, uh, summer fest, summer series, a great opportunity for us all to gather together, but also to invite our community uh, to come and join us. Um, and so please do be praying, uh, please do be inviting, but I particularly want to talk to you this morning about um, serving. So, man, it's, it, it's been a tough year for many of us. Um, there's been... Uh, lots of difficulty for many and as we come out of it things are just accelerating very fast and it can feel quite overwhelming and Christmas is very soon and lots of us just feel I've just got to get to the end of the year I've just got to get to Christmas and then I'll think about what's beyond and serving over summer falls very 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 to the back of our minds but can I encourage you um, we can't run summer without us all we can't run summer without each of us getting involved in some sort of uh, way. And uh, now's the time. I know Megan and I have been thinking for the last month, oh yeah, we're going to jump on the website and sign up to two or three things that we're going to serve in over summer, and we haven't done it yet. So we're going to do it at the Savo, and so I want to invite you to do it at the Savo as well. About 120 different um, positions from things like car parking, Summerfest Rego, helping with kids at Christmas or through the summer series, um, bunch of things like that, set up, pack up, something for everyone. So I want to encourage you, um, please consider that. Jump on the website, next steps section, uh, there's a serve section there and you can fill something out there and people will get in touch with you. Uh, but let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, that, that things are opening up, that summer is looking like it's going to happen wonderfully and we pray it will. We pray, Lord, that we'll have a wonderful time together but that the community will join us. Uh, Father, the, this morning as we come to your word, uh, we do know that day by day we are in danger of being distracted from the things that are crucial, that are absolutely critical. Um, life is filled with so many worries and cares and concerns uh, and comforts and entertainments and busyness. And so we know, Lord, that we need your word to cut through those things, to cut through and show us the things, again, that are critical uh, with great weight and clarity. And we do ask, Father, please do that for us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's impossible for someone who is a Christian who falls away to be brought back to repentance. It's impossible for someone who is a believer who falls away from Christ to be brought back to repentance. Now, don't you just find them some of the most chilling words that you could possibly imagine? I, I'm not sure I can think of anything more frightening than that reality. And they elicit a sense of fear, even a shiver within some of us. And I think that's a healthy thing, a healthy Christian response to hear these sort of truths. And they're straight from our passage this morning. Have a look with me, chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and are subjecting him to public disgrace. Deeply chilling words. Now, some may look at these words and say, no, no this is not actually about Christians. This is not trying to describe believers. This is trying to describe those who have come near to Christian things 
who have come to church, gathered with the church gathering, been a part of Christian things, but they haven't actually come to follow Jesus. They may even say that they follow Jesus, but they haven't actually come to follow Jesus. They're not really Christians. But I think that's to misread this passage. And I think the book of Hebrews, if you've been tracking with us, doesn't allow that option either. The whole book of Hebrews only makes sense if it was a real warning to real Christians to heed Jesus' words and not drift away, to hold fast no matter what. But people will say that if you look at some of the key words in verses 4 and 5, they seem to indicate something only partial, not the full Christian experience. So it couldn't possibly be describing Christians. So you might look at it and they might say, no, no, see it says they've only tasted the heavenly gift. They've only shared in the Holy Spirit. They've only tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Key words that each one seems partial, like maybe someone who has come near to Christian things, part of the church, but doesn't actually follow Jesus, isn't actually a Christian. But is that right? See, what does it mean when it says tasted the heavenly gift? Tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. Tasted, sounds like a nibble, doesn't it? It sounds like a little taster, a little hors d'oeuvre. But look back, jump back with me, chapter 2, verse 9. Talking of Jesus, 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus didn't nibble death. Jesus didn't have a little taster of death. No, he fully embraced and experienced death for all of us. That's what this word taste in both these places means. To fully experience and embrace, to partake of, it could be translated. Same, come back, chapter 6, tasted the heavenly gift, is to fully experience and embrace the heavenly gift, the gift of salvation. To have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age is to have fully experience the goodness of God's word and the power of being part of God's eternal kingdom. Back to chapter 6, verse 4. What about to have shared in the Holy Spirit? Now again, share sounds partial, doesn't it? You, you just get a bit of it. But if you look for that word again, you find it a number of times throughout Hebrews. One of those times is in chapter 3, verse 14 where it talks about Christians as those who have come to share in Christ, participate in Christ, be companions of Christ. It's describing Christians. Same here with sharing in the Holy Spirit, to be companions, participants in the Holy Spirit. It's a description of a Christian. In verse 4, you also get the word there, enlightened. You see it there? That comes up in chapter 10. Flip with me there. Chapter 10, verse 32. Ten thirty-two. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, same word, after you were enlightened, when you endured a great conflict in full suffering. He's talking about when they became Christians and he talks about it in terms of being enlightened. Back to chapter 6 and I think we're staying in chapter 6 now. Um, to have been enlightened, verse 4, is to have genuinely become a Christian and verse 6, have a look with me there. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Back to repentance. This is people who had truly repented. Christians, those who had put their faith in Jesus and repented, turning from sin. There is something we should be afraid of as Christians. Not terror, we'll come back to that later, but an appropriate fear. 
This is a real and chilling warning to genuine Christians, to you, to me, today. It is possible for a genuine believer, who, if they fall away, it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. Now, this is not much of the, the way much of the modern Christian world wants to operate, wants to talk. Don't be negative. Focus on the positive things of the Christian message. Don't talk about fear. Be motivational. Be inspiring. Don't be a downer. Be uplifting. But hear the words of the preacher to the Hebrews. They needed this message. We need this message just as much. Too often as Christians, we worry about things that Jesus says, don't worry about those things. And we're not worried about things that Jesus says, you should be very concerned about those things. We worry about things like life and health and this world and how we're going to get ahead and our future. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. You can trust me. I'm looking after you. I care for you. But Jesus says, you know the thing that you should be really concerned about? Your eternal security, your eternal future, the world to come. It is impossible for those, verse 6, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. If you drift away from Jesus, what you are actually doing is crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. To turn away from Jesus is, is to be the most reprehensible thing that you could possibly do. It is to publicly disgrace Jesus. It is to re-crucify Jesus. It is, it is to hold him down and drive the nails through his hands and his feet, to lift him up in, in shame and disgrace, to join with the crowd and mock and jeer and harass and laugh at him. Instead of standing with Jesus, you have moved to stand against him with the crowd who mocks and belittles and laughs at him as he dies. Verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless, as in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Land that is productive because God pours the rain on it is blessed by God. Land that receives the rain but is unproductive is cursed by God. That is, the person who produces the fruit of a Christian life a life that continues to trust and honour Jesus is blessed by God. But the person who fails to produce the fruit of the Christian life, a life that continues to trust and honour Jesus, is under God's curse, his judgment. But notice again what I think are the most terrifying words in this verse, in this chapter, verse 6. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Not just that it's impossible to, for those who have fallen away not to get to heaven. Now that's true. But that it's impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. There's a point of no return. There is a line that if you step over and cross over, you cannot come back. There is a drift away from Jesus that if you drift too far... If you turn around, even if you wanted to, you could not swim back. The boat is gone. A point of no return. My dad used to tell a story about his time um, sailing on cruise ships. He, he used to, back in the day, in his early working life, run the Women's Weekly World Discovery Tours, which are these big, 
these big tours where they pack a whole cruise boat um, full of people and they'd sail around the world and they'd stop at ports, but not just, you know, you got off for a day and then you slept on the boat, but you'd get off for five, six days, um, stay in different hotels and do tours all around the place. Massive logistical exercise, back on the boat, then to the next port. And so he, he and my mum had a lot to do with the, the crew and the uh, captain. One night, they're enjoying drinks in the captain's cabin with the crew. They're off Fremantle, huge seas, and, and a huge rogue wave hit the ship. People were just thrown like, like ragdolls, flew across the, the ship. Things crashed, shattered. People broke arms and legs, cuts and abrasions. No one seriously injured. One man was sleeping in his bed. He flew out of his bed, across the corridor, into another room and landed in another bed. And he woke up and he said, why are you in my room to the lady standing there? And she said, why are you standing in my, lying in my room? Now, after the initial shock and medical attention was given and the cleanup was done, the word came down um, from the bridge that the rogue wave had caused the ship to list to one degree off the point of no return. One degree further and, and the ship would have rolled over. See, a ship, this huge ship, can get to a point of no return. It can pass a point where it's impossible for it to right itself again. And the only way is actually over a point of no return. Same is true of your Christian life, my Christian life. You can walk down the path away from Jesus for so long, only to turn and look back and the path is closed behind you. There is no way to return. You can drift away from Jesus so far, only to find that even if you wanted to swim back, the current has taken you so far away from him that he is out of sight. You can, like a huge cruise ship, have rolled so far away from Jesus and towards the world that you can't actually come back. You'll only roll over. It's impossible to right yourself again. The only way is to destruction. And the reason that is impossible to come back is God will not have you. See, we tend to think, I'm the master of my own fate. I can choose to do whatever I want. I can choose to walk away from Jesus as far as I want and I can choose to come back to Jesus whenever I please and whenever I want. We're the only players in the game. No. There's another player on the board, in fact, over the board. In fact, he owns the board, the Lord Almighty. And if we think that we can treat his son however we wish, live however we wish without regard to him, increasingly side with the world against his son, and then just come back as we choose, that's very, very dangerous. God is very gracious and compassionate and forgiving, but his patience and grace and compassion and forgiveness has its limit. If we get to a point where we are no longer standing with Jesus but have moved to stand with the world, those who are standing watching him crucified and laughing on, then God says, enough. We cannot come back. Our hearts cannot change. We cannot turn from our sin and receive Christ. For God in his righteous anger will not let us. So can I say to us, beware. Beware in your dabble with sin. Beware if that thing that, that so tempts you and you are so close to doing, but you know that if you do that thing, you are going down a very dangerous path. Beware a lack of desire to obey God's word. Beware a resistance to the thing that God's word teaches. Beware a lack of change, compromise, complacency, laziness. Beware. And all of us need a healthy fear of drifting from Christ. Not a terror. We'll come back to that later. But a healthy fear. Because fear is one of the things that keeps us drifting from him. Now, how would you know if you're in this danger? 
How would you know if you were in this danger? And can I say, this bit is just as chilling as what we've already looked at. In verses 11 to 14 of chapter 5, the writer, the preacher of the Hebrews, highlights their problem before he gives them this very serious warning against falling away that we've been just reflecting on. He highlights their problem that left unchecked will lead them to falling away. And so being unable to come back to repentance and so ultimately will lead them to hell. What is this terribly serious problem in verses 11 to 14? Laziness in understanding the word of God. What? The thing that could ultimately lead Christians to hell is? Laziness in understanding the word of God. Verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. We've got much to say to you about this. He's just been talking, as we heard last week, about Jesus, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he's going to come back to that in chapter 7, chapter 5, chapter 7. In some ways, our passage is an interruption. It's, it's the brackets uh, that interrupt a section where he's talking about Jesus, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We have much more to say to you about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. Literally in the Greek, because you are lazy in your hearing, lazy in your understanding of God's word, sluggish, out of shape, unfit, lazy in how you hear and understand God's word. Now this has been a consistent theme in the book of Hebrews, hasn't it? How you hear the word of God, how you hear our Lord's voice and how you respond to it will ultimately impact how he responds to you. And the way the Christians have been hearing, interacting with God's word is lazy, not listening hard, not working at understanding, not thinking about it, not going deeper, not moving forward, lazy in hearing. And what did this look like? Well, verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk... Being, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. By this time, they should have been teachers. But instead, they need someone to teach them the ABCs of God's Word, the elementary truths, the basics. They've stagnated and regressed and shrunk in their spiritual maturity and understanding. And they've developed a laziness where they've lost the clarity on the very basic teachings of Christianity. And so they're no longer clear, no longer convicted in their hearts by the fundamentals of Christianity and what these mean for life. And so they need milk and not solid food. Now, I look around at teenage boys who I used to know as little kids. And now they're not little kids anymore. They're, They're big boys who are bigger and taller and stronger than me. Can I say they didn't grow that that big drinking breast milk? the last 15, 16, 17 years. In fact, that's a very disturbing image that I've just placed into your minds. (laughs) They grew to physical maturity eating solid food, meat, potatoes, rice, veggies. But when they were little babies, their parents didn't serve up solid mood. Here's your steak, little baby. No, no, they couldn't have handled it. They couldn't have eaten it. They would have choked on it. But as they grew... The baby transitioned from milk to some solids to eventually totally solids, exclusively solid food, and they grew to adulthood by eating solid food. Here are Christians who need milk and not solid food. Adults who can only handle breast milk. 
They can only handle the very basic teachings of Christianity, the ABCs, because they're not even clear on these. Like a baby, they'd choke on solid food, whereas by this stage they should be spiritual adults, mature in the faith. And spiritual adults should be able to handle the deeper teachings of Christianity. Because, verse 14, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. More helpfully in the original Greek, solid food is for the mature, who by virtue of their maturity have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The preacher of the Hebrews is not saying, if, if you want to uh, be mature, then go about and practice being discerning, working out what's right and what's wrong. No, 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 what he's saying is this. Be a mature person by going deep in God's word. Because one of the key characteristics of a mature person, an adult Christian, is that you will be discerning. If you want to be discerning, absorb God's word. If you want to, in each and every situation, be able to be clear about what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, what's wise and what's foolish, what's God's way and what's the world's way, what will keep me safe with Jesus and what will lead me away from Jesus, then be immersed in God's word, the word of your Father. That's spiritual maturity. To the opposite is to be lazy in your hearing of the word of your Father. So we need to be rigorous in our hearing working at understanding, having hearing fitness. People spend a lot of time getting physically fit and working on their physical fitness. Far more important to be training at the Word of God so that it shapes how we understand the world. If we're going to be discerning, then we have to have our Father's mind fill our mind, God's thoughts filling our thoughts, so that in any decision or any thought we have about anything, we think God's way about those things because we've so absorbed his word. Do you get how critical it is, working at the word is, working at understanding his word? Look at the preacher's exhortation to the Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 1. And this is the key command from our passage, 6.1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. The key command in this section, let's be taken forward to maturity, adulthood. And it's passive there. Let's be taken on, let's be carried on. See, it is God who is doing the work, carrying us forward to spiritual adulthood. But we must not resist. See, in verse 3, it says, God permitting, we will do so. God is doing it, but we must not resist. We must let ourselves be taken on to maturity. His Spirit is at work, growing us an understanding of His Word. Don't resist that. Let's be taken forward to maturity by verse 1, moving beyond the elementary teachings, which he lists in verses 1 and 2. Now, I don't have time to uh, spend too much time here, but I think his list of the ABCs of Christian teaching are a basic understanding of how you come a, become a Christian through repentance and faith in Jesus, a basic understanding of how that is possible through Jesus' sacrificial death, and a basic understanding of what this means for our future as Christians. And I think he particularly does this as, a, as for people emerging out of a Jewish context to become a Christian. But key is that the writer to the Hebrews says to Christians, you must move beyond the basics of Christian teachings. Move on from them in the sense not of letting them go, 
but moving on in the sense of not just going back and repeating the basics again and again and again, but rather building on them. See, they're foundations, verse 1. You don't move away from your foundations, beyond your foundations. You build upon your foundations. But you are to build. You are to move beyond them in the sense of building upon them. You are to grow from milk to meat, to meatier things, like the high priesthood of Christ in chapters 5 and chapter 6. Who is the maturing Christian, the growing Christian, the Christian who is guarding themselves against falling away? The deepening in the word Christian. The working at understanding the word Christian. The having the mind shaped by the word Christian. Who is the Christian who is in danger of falling away? The Christian who is lazy when it comes to hearing and understanding God's word. Let me give you three very practical applications from this. Become a hunter, become a cartographer, become a teacher. Become a hunter. The hunter is relentless in tracking his prey. The hunter is single-minded in tracking down their quarry. They'll do anything and they'll use every trick in the book. Every broken branch, every snapped twig, every scuffed bit of ground, every paw print. They follow all the evidence until it leads them to their prey. When it comes to God's word, be the hunter. You hear the sermon. You hear something at growth group. You read something in your Bible reading and you think, I don't quite understand that. Or that's a new thought to me. Or I know something of this, but it's very shallow and I could go deeper. You could walk away and just forget about it. Or you could be the hunter. I'm going to track down the answers. I'm going to look at every piece of evidence. I'm going to go and talk to someone. Talk to a pastor, talk to a more mature Christian, talk to a friend, ask some questions. Be humble enough to ask questions in growth group. I'm going to get a commentary and read on the section that I don't quite understand. I'm going to ask someone about books and articles on those topics so that I can go deeper. I'm going to get into a digging deeper course or a hot topic. I'm going to be the hunter because I'm going to track down answers to my questions because I want to go deeper and understand God's thoughts in his word. Second, become a cartographer. A mapper, someone who makes an increasingly detailed mental map in their mind of the truths of God's word and how they interact with each other. Someone who has a clear system of thought in their mind of the world and life and God, because actually we all do. Every human being has a mental map, a system of thought in their mind. However, many people's maps of reality and life and God are confused and lack detail and are contradictory and are inconsistent and don't make any real sense. Now, that's very hard to use that map to navigate through life. And even worse, it means that your thoughts about God and his purposes and his concerns and his desires, you're totally out of step with. There are other people who have a crystal clear mental map, but their map is just plain wrong. They may be detailed and coherent, but they're incorrect. Their system of thought, their understanding of reality is just plain wrong, which means they're totally, actually totally out of step when it comes to God and his thoughts and plans and purposes and desires. What we need is to become cartographers, mental map makers. The Lord has given us a, a whole system of thought of how the correct way to see the world in his word and we want to map that into our minds so that we think the same way. Our system of thought aligned with God's word and how he thinks about it, things. And so each time we come to God's word, we can take the pieces that we're learning and lock them 
into the framework that we already have. That's a new piece to lock into that mental framework about God and life and reality. You come to a passage that's speaking something about death. What do I already know from God's word about death? I'm going to take this and lock this passage in as well. And I'm going to think, how does that interact with other passages that I know about death and other topics that interrelate? So Jesus' second coming and heaven and hell and the intermediate state and even uh, sin and why Jesus came to die. And we keep taking these truths from each passage and working out how they fit together in our minds and how they interrelate with other topics in the Bible so that we're getting an increasingly detailed mental map. And sometimes things will clang. This passage doesn't seem to, what, to fit with what I know from that passage. And so then you become the hunter. And you track down, do the work. How is it that those passages don't seem to make sense together in my mind? Because they do make sense. Either you've misunderstood one or both of the passages. Because God's word is consistent and coherent. We're trying to become cartographers, mental map makers. And to help us do this more... Uh, Easily, it's good to go to things like digging deeper that are designed to pull pieces from all over the Bible and bring them together into a mental map framework. To together work to integrate our thinking on a topic and form crisper, cleaner mental maps. When it comes to God's word, be a hunter, be a cartographer. And thirdly, become a teacher. Did you notice verse 12? It says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You actually need someone to teach you the ABCs of God's word all over again. Do you see the assumption there? Is that all of us will become teachers. It is the assumption that if we are not teachers, then we have not matured in the way that we should have. Or we're a young or new Christian. If you're a young or a new Christian, it is totally appropriate not to be a teacher. But if you've been a Christian for a while and are not yet a teacher, then there is something lacking in terms of your maturity. Now, by teacher, it doesn't mean to have a formal teaching role. There will be some Christians who, by virtue of their giftedness, have formal teaching roles. They teach publicly and formally. And we could probably call them capital T teachers. And they've been given for the building of the church. However, every one of us is to grow in our understanding of God's word to the point where we have things to teach and share with others, things to encourage one another with, and particularly... We have things that we can share with our kids, with our grandkids, that we can teach uh, to those who are more new to the faith. Um, we have things to teach. Become teachers. How would you become a better teacher? One of the things that I have found most helpful in becoming a better teacher is to think in my mind, every passage, everything I'm trying to teach, how would I explain this to someone else clearly and succinctly? How would I explain this passage in three crisp sentences short crisp sentences the better you become at that the better you're able to teach because you have to understand the word before you can teach it clearly to others when it comes to God's word become a hunter become a cartographer become a teacher when you're teaching your little kid to ride a bike don't you spend hours like running along beside them hanging on to them trying to keep them the kid thinks no 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 just let me stand still and get my balance and then I'll start riding but you know the kid is not going to be able to get their balance unless they're moving forward and so you spend hours running alongside them it gets tiring as you get older momentum keeps the bike upright you lose momentum 
and the bike falls over. The person in danger of falling away from Christ is the person who is lazy when it comes to hearing and understanding God's word, who is losing momentum when it comes to deepening God's word. If this is you, can I encourage you, beware. Now, before I wrap up one critical final piece, you may have been sitting here this whole time thinking, but what about God's promises that he will hold me fast? What about God's promises that he will never let us go? How do those promises fit with this passage? And how can I ever live with confidence in living the Christian life and not just fear? Because I take it that the Lord's promises that he will hold his people are true. He will hold on to his people. The Lord will not let his people go. Yeah, they're all over the place. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has his people in his hand and no one will snatch Jesus' people out of his hand. Romans 8, 39, the Apostle Paul says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, death nor life, angels nor... Nothing can separate us from God's love if we are in Christ. The Lord will hold on to his people. But how does he do that? He gives us real warnings throughout the Bible, like the one here in Hebrews 6, not to turn away from Jesus, outlining the dire consequences that will befall us if we do. And then he works in our hearts by his Spirit to cause us to heed these warnings in his word. And we do. And so in this way, God keeps us safe in his son. The means that God uses to keep us safe for heaven is his children, is to warn us strongly and firmly against turning away from Jesus with warnings that we see throughout Hebrews. And he works in us by his spirit. So we take those warnings to heart, we heed them, and we follow Jesus to the end. There's a wonderful illustration I've heard Herdy and, and others use in various forms. You could imagine um, a, a cliff... And on all sides, there's a sheer precipice, a sheer drop. Uh, and, and so if you get near the edge of this cliff, you're at risk of falling off. You're safe in the middle of the, you know, on, on top, but if you get near the edge, you're at risk of falling off the cliff and, and plummeting to your death. Now, that's a bit of an image of the Christian life. Jesus is the top, the place of safety. But if you, if you drift away towards the edge, it's, it's desperately dangerous. If you fell off the edge, you would be destroyed. But God is committed to keeping us on top of that, that, that thing so that we don't fall off the edge. Now, how does he do it? Does he build a wall around us, a massive wall that we could never climb over? That we could? No, he doesn't do that. He puts up signs around the edge of the cliff, warning signs that say, don't go near the edge. Don't go near the edge. If you went near the edge, you might fall. And if you fall, you would perish. You would be destroyed. And... God so works in our hearts by his spirit that when we see those signs, we go, yes, I'm never going near the edge. I'm going to keep away and stay back. See, if a father warns his beloved child, don't, don't go near the edge of the cliff, how does the little child respond? They run to their dad and say, Dad, hold me, protect me, keep me safe, don't let me go near the edge. The father's warning actually creates a healthy fear in the child and dependence on the father. This is what the warnings of our Heavenly Father are to do for us, his children. Real warnings that we have to say, oh Lord, protect me, keep me. And we cut draw again near to him. 
You know, there's no sense in which God thinks his children will not heed his warnings. When I say to a friend, don't drink that cup, it's full of poison. I have total confidence that my friend will not drink that cup. He will heed the warning. There is no sense in which I think they will not hear and heed the, my warning. But they need to be warned because if they weren't warned, nothing would stop them from drinking the cup. The Lord keeps us safe in Jesus by warning us. In the verses straight after what I've just preached on, after such strong warnings, the writer to the Hebrews speaks with confidence about their salvation and encourages them. Look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. He's just warned them very, very strongly, and now he warmly encourages them. He's confident of better things in their case, confident they won't fall, confident because, one, they have shown the fruit of the Christian life in their past, verses 9 to 12, and two, because the saving promise of God is so certain, verses 13 to 20. We can have confidence that the Lord will keep us. He holds his children firmly in his hand now and forever. Now, a natural question that is often asked when we deal with these things is, what about my friend? What about my family member who used to be at church and used to seem to be a Christian and now isn't? Are they the person who has fallen away and who is unable to be brought back to repentance? And the answer is, in some sense, we don't know because only God knows their heart. But there's two possibilities. The first is, they are someone who never put their trust in Jesus in the first place. They never became a Christian, actually. And so, what they need is they need the wonder and the warnings of the gospel shared with them so that they might actually come to Christ for the first time. That's the first possibility. The other is, they are someone who has genuinely come to Christ and they have strayed far from him. And the Lord will bring them back. But the way that the Lord will bring them back is through someone sharing the warnings and the wonder of the gospel with them so that they might respond to these warnings and return back to him. We don't know. And it doesn't actually matter that much because either way what they need is the gospel, the wonder of the gospel, the warnings of the gospel. We can have confidence that our Heavenly Father will keep his children safe now and forever. God chose us before the creation of the world. In time and space, he opened our hearts to him. He gave us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. He gave us the gift of faith, turning us so that we could trust in his son. He justifies us. He is making us day by day more like his son and he promises to keep us for all eternity. We can have confidence that our Heavenly Father will keep his children safe now and forever. But... If you find yourself drifting, be worried. If you find yourself lazy in understanding God's word, be worried. Hear and heed this warning designed to keep you safe. It is impossible for those who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So become the hunter, become the cartographer, become the teacher, become the serious hearer of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask, um, please be very gracious and merciful to us. We thank you that you promised to hold us fast, but the way that you do that is to give us these uh, strong uh, warnings. Please help us to hear and heed those warnings. Please keep us trusting in your Son and following him to the very end. Please keep us diligent in your word, 
hunting down answers, mentally mapping your truths, growing to teach and encourage others with your word and to live it out. Please saturate our minds with your words so that we are deeply discerning people and please enable us to always heed the serious warnings in your word so that we will never fall away but we are with you for all eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.